Hi, hello, welcome. Happy New Year, happy 2015. This will be the last episode of uh, rounding up the months of 2014 here on the Escape from Society podcast. We will discuss now December 2014. Last month of the year on the Christian calendar? Roman calendar? I don't know what calendar it is that we use. Let's go with Roman. First of the month was a Monday, which meant a performance of The Universe is a Small Hat. Now, I guess I hadn't done any in November, which could mean I had a nice break from it, could mean that I had a lot of new stuff to learn, could be that I would forget everything. You know, all those things are a possibility. As it is, I have a very good memory for music, so I wasn't worried about a lack of rehearsal or anything that I would forget the songs. Um, and not a whole lot had been developed while I was away. The show was more or less in the same form. A few minor differences here and there. Uh, little experiments or concessions to the space and the performers who were available for a particular night. That was one of the things about this run, is that with different performers being available on different shows, sort of handcuffed the um, director and writer as to what they could achieve on any given night, what they could experiment and what they could go for. Sometimes it was like, well, we can't really write anything new for this character because it's going to be played by somebody new who hasn't done it before and just needs to get by for the night in the role. I I mean, that happened a little bit. You might be able to tell from the tone of my voice that I'm more or less ambivalent about this show. There were a few nights where I had a fairly good time, several nights when I did not have a good time. I don't remember much about this particular night, December 1st, whether it was good or bad for me personally. And whether it was good or bad for me depends a little bit on my fellow performers and a little bit on the audience and probably a lot on my own state of mind and the way I go about the piece. I do have in my notes that December 1st was not a particularly fun one for me and December 8th was a little bit better. I did a little more interacting on December 8th than I did on the 1st, which I think uh, increased my enjoyment of the piece. I'm guessing that this piece is more fun to see than it is to do. It's more fun to experience it as a, a player or an audience participant as it is certainly from a musical perspective where we just sort of do the same thing each time. And as I've said before, doing that thing is even a little bit of a hassle for me because it's 
mostly playing the piano and it's not really a lot of trombone. There's kind of some switching instruments and some um, accompanying singers who don't really sing that well. Anyways, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'll refer you to earlier episodes of the podcast. You can get yourself caught up on what the universe's small hat is. Anyways, I'll just uh, move on. December 4th, later that week, a little improv show that was booked at the Firehouse Space. Some really good music was played that night, and nobody heard it. Dan Blake, saxophonist, had a um, monthly series there. Maybe it's ongoing, but on Thursday nights, first Thursday of the month, I think, uh, for a, a series of months, he'd present a project of his own and then another project of his choosing. So he played with a trio that night that was really great, and they had not played together. I guess they played together a lot in college or something. The tunes they played were very well developed and their improvisations very um, like thoughtful and the interaction between the musicians was was great. I mean, I was, I was floored in the audience. I really loved it, start to finish. Um, by contrast, the group I played with was a first time meeting of improvising musicians. We didn't play any charts. It was Jonah Rosenberg on piano Federico Ugi on drums and James Ilgenfritz on bass with me playing trombone. Jonah I've done improvising music with before. Ditto James. We met we, uh, we met independently of this, but we probably first played together in the New York Sound Painting Orchestra in the mid-2000s. And Federico Ugi, I've played with both in sessions at his house and in performance. Um, he's a he's a good guy as like a, a, a excellent go-to drummer for a hybrid of jazz music and freely improvised music. I, I would say he plays both of those styles very well and is good at going back and forth between them. So we weren't there to play jazz tunes, we were there to improvise, and since I've played with them all individually, I sort of knew what to expect, but didn't bring any expectations. And we played a few longish pieces and a a shortish piece at the end. Um, Really nice stuff. Uh, Memory does not permit me to make a detailed account of what we did. The interesting thing about this particular show that I want to point out is that nobody came to it. Dan's trio played for the three of us in the audience, and we played for whatever members of Dan's band were able to even stay for our show. There was one person who sort of came to the show, but he sat in for like half of Dan's set and and made that a quartet. Um, he was a good friend. I think he may have paid the $10 admission. Um, otherwise, no one was there, aside from Sandra, who runs the firehouse space. So it was one of those nights. Music's good. Nobody's there to hear it. Might as well be a rehearsal 
or jam session, aside from the fact that the bands are playing for each other, which is kind of nice, especially after, especially um, playing second as we did, because we got to listen to Dan's music and then play our set sort of inspired by his or with gratitude towards him or appreciation or inspiration or whatever. So basically a nice night, but nothing doing audience wise. So contrast that with a gig the following night, Tin Pan gig at a restaurant. Now, this is also, I guess Jesse's wife did come um, to this one and listen to us. But here's a gig also where you could say, nobody is there to listen to the band. This also happens to be a bar and restaurant. So there are patrons of the bar restaurant and some of them never listen to the band. It's just in the background. Some of them, you know, generally appreciate that it's there in the background. And, and some of them spend a little time listening to the band. But it's, it's also the environment where there's, there's not much interaction in between band and audience. And it's also, so in that, in that way, it's, it's like playing for no audience. It's almost the same as the night before when I was playing just for the other musicians in the room. Um, I was mainly focused on Adam and Jesse, who I was playing with. I was on tuba on that gig. And um, more so than the average gig, this one was a blast. I don't know, for whatever reason, we were having a really great time playing that night. Uh, I hadn't been on the tuba in a little while, and um, at some point in the first set, I started playing these double-tonguing rhythms on stuff that w were really funny to Adam, and so he was sort of goading me into uh, incorporating this funny little style into, I don't know, a lot of what we played that night. So super fun and kind of hilarious. Um, another benefit of not being listened to very closely that you can screw around. But it's also the, the double-tonguing thing as it, as it comes out on the tuba, the way I was playing it, is a very um, corny, hokey kind of swinging, uh, but it ends up being very funky in the right context. This is this is something to be observed in funky or swinging music. It's that often there's one part of the rhythm section or maybe even more than one playing very straight or very ahead of the beat and it's the it's the rest of the swinging around that straight that creates a kind of rub in the rhythm that makes it feel really good, um, really detailed. So when you get when you get an entire rhythm section that's just kind of playing hokey or cheesy or not swinging, it doesn't swing. But when you get one or two of those people mixed in with some other very funky people who are laying back or maybe whatever, it, it does create kind of an awesome pocket some of the time. 
felt like that's what we were doing that night. Got a good meal, and they also have, it's a Turkish restaurant, they have a Lebanese beer. And it's not like the state beer of Lebanon. This is like a craft brewery that happens to be in Lebanon and uses Zutter, uh, the spice mix, in their beer, which comes through in the flavor. Very interesting. So, hey, broaden your horizons. Drink Lebanese beer at uh, Para Brasserie near Grand Central Station. That was on Friday night. Saturday night was a back-to-back tin pan night. My friend Brian Geltner, the drummer, had written to me saying that his upstairs neighbors were having a um, 40th birthday party. And the theme was New Orleans. It was going to be a surprise party for the husband. And the wife wanted to find some musicians to play. She talked to Brian about it because he is a musician and he recommended me as a horn player and somebody who could put something together. She had a budget of about 300 bucks or so um, and to make it worth people's while I figured a a trio would be appropriate rather than a a quartet. And I was thinking uh, Tin Pan all along but maybe the you know, Tin Pan edition with me on tuba, uh, because what makes a party more than a, a tuba? And we had a difficult time finding a guitarist, so Jesse, you know, signed on to play trumpet, and um, the regular guitarists weren't around. I, I nearly asked an accordion player before Jesse booked a banjo player who had maybe done a couple of gigs with Tin Pan long ago or something. Not a close associate, but a good musician. This guy, Jared Engel, um, who Geltner also happens to know through the bluegrass scene. So we had tuba, trumpet, and banjo, which is a fairly appropriate instrumentation for a New Orleans party. And we weren't there for the surprise part. We came in a little bit later as the like new surprise. We were able to go through Geltner's apartment downstairs uh, and come in the back door of this brownstone playing. I don't think we came in playing Happy Birthday. Uh, I think we came in playing some other song. But so the party's been going on for an hour. People are drinking and having their finger foods or whatever. And then this band shows up and sort of ups ups the ante. That was fun. Really nice people. We played two sets at the party. And then there's a late night Saturday gig that Tin Pan is going to be doing regularly in, uh, in the new year. It's at the KGB bar on... 4th Street and 2nd Avenue, right above where my friend Tom used to live, uh, right through the wall of his old apartment, I believe. And um, the owner of the bar sees us play in Central Park. He walks his dog and comes by and sees us most mornings that we're out there.
And I gotta say, he's a bit of a, a cheapskate when it comes to booking this, um, booking Tin Pan for the Saturday night. It's, it's like 40 or 50 bucks a man with no drinks included. I would have probably turned down this gig um, if I hadn't been in a, if Jesse and I hadn't sort of been like a package for the evening. You know, he was coming and doing the party. So I wasn't, I don't know, I didn't feel like it was a good position for me to be in, to be like, no, I'm just going to stay at the party. You can leave and go do the other gig and get somebody else. I figured, yeah, we'd, we'd stick it out together. So we hopped in a cab together. Jared was not on both gigs. He wound up staying at the party. Um, there was another guitarist and another horn player at KGB Bar. And it was, I don't know, we came from like a high-energy kind of welcoming environment into this space which is nice um but it was really the bar was dead that night so it was kind of a depressing transition we had an awesome cab ride from this uh this cab driver from south sudan and we just sort of talked politics uh about his new country and he got us to the cage. He, like, really also had no idea where he was going, which was kind of funny. Um, he didn't realize that we were going to Manhattan until we, like, directed him to the bridge. And he was like, oh, Manhattan. <laughs> like, yeah, Manhattan. Um, whatever. We did three sets that felt kind of obligatory at the KGB bar, and I was... Uh, I was just out of it. I was kind of wrecked by that point. Might have had one too many at the party or something, but I was just like kind of tired and out of it. So it was what it was. I already mentioned to you that on the 8th of the month, there was a um, another Universe is a Small Hat show that went a little better for me because I was a little more interactive. I was also in a happy mood that night because it was Kyle's Christmas Karaoke Corner. Good old Kyle's Christmas Karaoke Corner at Otto's Shrunken Head. Otto's and Baby Castle's where the small hat performances were both on 14th Street. So I went down the block once we finished small hat and I had my horn with me and I, I didn't really anticipate playing or singing but I wound up doing both since many of the songs chosen for the karaoke. This is live band karaoke with a predetermined set list. Kyle has a roster, an email list. He sends out a blast whenever there's going to be a, a karaoke corner. And anybody who replies with a song, he'll make sure the band learns the song and he'll print out the lyrics on a transparency for an overhead projector so there's an overhead projector on the gig and the, all the names of the singers to be are in the hat and pulls out the first name the first person sings their song they pull out another name and so on the chain is established and 
it goes uh, for a couple of hours and the Christmas one in particular is always crowded and fun and people don't choose Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, last year someone did choose Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but had it set to um, uh, Proud Mary background. So the rhythm section was playing Proud Mary and the singer was singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and it worked perfectly and it was really fun and awesome. But typically people aren't singing the uh, the well-known Christmas classics, but more of the popular, you know, the Wham song or the Mariah Carey song or the the stuff that's popular but not like iconic from childhood, like Christmas iconic from the radio. Anyway, some of them have good uh, little horn parts, so I played the trombone, reveled. A couple days later, also had a casual kind of sitting in bar gig. I had done a recording session in Dumbo in the basement of the 68J building and went for a beer to the 68J bar after the recording session. And during the happy hour, there was like a funk trio playing and they were, they were good. They played some stuff that I knew and it was a a low-key gig, so I, I asked to sit in. You know, asking to sit in with people you don't know is is weird. It's It can be a delicate issue. This is like a happy hour gig in a bar. The stakes are pretty low for them. If it turns out that I suck and they say, yes, I can sit in, then I sit in on a song and I suck and then they tell me to get lost and it's all right. In this case, uh, I didn't suck, I knew what to do, and we played funk music together. I, I played, I don't know, two or three songs with them, and we exchanged info after the set. They live in Astoria, where I live, and have a regular gig here in the neighborhood, so I intend to drop in on them there at some point. But that was just kind of a nice um, hangout, get to play a little extra bonus music for the day. David Moore, very talented musician, part of Langhorne Slim's band, The Law. That's how I met him. I played on a Langhorne Slim record, which was recorded at Old Soul. My friend Kenny Siegel produced it and got me on the session. And then I wound up knowing one of the horn players already. and getting to meet the other guys in the band who I've since become friends with and played with in other settings. David has a uh, 
a side project called Pepper Johnson. Uh, another one that I can't think of the name of right now, and I'm kicking myself, but he plays piano, organ, banjo, guitar. He sings, he writes songs. And it turns out that for the past five years, he's been running a an annual night at Jalopy in December called Filthy Song Night. So this year for the sixth annual Filthy Song Night, he asked me if I wanted to come down and sing a song. Which I was more than happy to do. I gotta say, the material was A plus across the board on Filthy Song Night. And it turned out to be a bit of a competition because there are awards given out by some panel of judges gives out a you know best original filthy song a couple of other there are two other categories that give out these little homemade um, statue plaque things i didn't know it was going to be a competition but my competitive uh, drive was ignited when i got there and found out that it was but I was up against too many hilarious songs performed well by some of the the great jalopy, you know, greater jalopy circle type of uh, performers, singer-songwriters, old-timey musicians, bluegrass musicians, singer-songwriters, uh, poets and comedians. So my song, I was told it almost won, but did not, in fact, win. So the song I sang was Let's All Suck Dick on Christmas, which was originally written and recorded uh, for Yulnog 3. And I mentioned Yulnog briefly in the November issue of the podcast and said I'd dwell on it a bit in the December edition so here we go it does i it's not going to be a long digression because it's already january and the christmas spirit is quickly fading actually the christmas spirit fades really quickly for as long as it takes to ramp up with all like the pre-thanksgiving you know oh god it's coming it's going to be this long drawn out thing and then it's just like christmas to the max from Thanksgiving until Christmas. Then by New Year's, you know, people have lights up still and stuff, but nobody's drinking eggnog. Nobody's playing Christmas songs on the radio, thank God. Uh, it, it disappears actually pretty fast. So now that we're a couple weeks into January, I'm finally recording this episode. I feel very distant from Christmas spirit, but this was a special Christmas because it saw the the release of Yulnog 10. About you and me and things and stuff. In 2005, my friend Mappa Elliot called me over to his house for a little recording session of Christmas songs with this friend of his, Nathan Karuna. They were friends from Pennsylvania, and Nathan was not a musician, but a graphic designer and someone who thought it might be fun to give some some gifts for Christmas of 
himself singing Christmas songs on a CD. And he wound up making this great CD packaging for Yulnog One. And we did a short afternoon of recording uh, nine or ten Christmas songs. It was a success among Nathan's friends. We gave the CD, you know, he probably printed 50 CDs or something and gave them out. People loved him. So he had an idea to do Yulnog 2 the following year, and I wrote an original song for Yulnog 2 that started a trend. On Yulnog 3, there were a couple of original songs, and we were off and running from there. It's overstating it a little bit to refer to Yulnog as a project, but the project, if we can call it that, had enough momentum that, and was easy enough to do that we started making a Yulnog record every year and continued, this year being the 10th year. So for Yulnog 10, instead of doing a, an afternoon session at Mappa's apartment in which we trade instruments, play the wrong instruments, drink beer, and just kind of screw around, record most things in one take with often um, very lackluster engineering. We decided to go into the studio, choose the best original songs written over the past 10 years, and make shiny arrangements, record them really well, get it well mixed, the final product has a 20-page booklet with an essay about the history of Yulnog and all kinds of stuff. The three executives of the record were me, Mappa, and Nathan. The three of us chose what songs would be there. About half my songs, the other half songs that were written by Mappa, by John Arabagon. Charlie Evans and uh, one by Amanda D'Amato and we spent yeah I guess three days in the recording studio and then about three days in the studio mixing um, I spent a lot of time on it at home uh, doing little overdubs and making edits and things like that so the final product sounds pretty great looks pretty great and Although the Christmas spirit has faded, I'm going to play you a little bit of Yulnog and encourage you to download the album and stash it away in your MP3 collection until next year. Or order a copy. It makes a great gift. I'll play you the song, Let's All Suck Dick on Christmas. What I'll do is I'll, I'll blend the original Yulnog 3 recording with the fresh Yulnog 10 recording so you can enjoy both of them as you ponder how to celebrate this meaningful day, Christmas. Look at your calendar. Look at December 25th. 
That's not a regular day. We get off from work, so let's have us some fun. Celebrate Christmas our way. Now we won't go to church, but we'll stay in to play. Let's all get fucked on Christmas. Let's all take shits on Christmas. Let's all suck dick on Christmas. Let's all get creamed on believe in God and we never found Christ. We don't go to church and we don't pray. So how are we gonna find the meaning and what will we do to celebrate this meaningful day? Well it won't mean a thing if you don't help me sing. Let's all smoke pot on Christmas Let's all do coke on Christmas Let's all shoot up on Christmas Let's all burn out on Christmas Let's all go wild on Christmas Let's all get pooched on Christmas Let's all snowball on Christmas Let's all beat off on Christmas Beating off is special on Christmas In the bleak midwinter night Frosty wind made moan I found me a hooker And she looked like Christ He gave me a rusty trombone Well, it won't mean a thing If you don't help me sing
Let's All Suck Dick on Christmas there. Did not win at Filthy Song Night, but I gave a rousing rendition that was well-received by all. And then a few nights later, the studio where we had recorded, known as Whitewater Studio in Midtown Manhattan, or sort of the Union Square area of Manhattan, um, was having a sort of grand opening. They had just done a renovation. Grand opening slash holiday party. And so Kevin, who plays drums on most of Yulnog, Kevin Shea and I just played a few of the Yulnog songs, a couple of the Sam Kulik originals at the party. It was not really a good party for performing. It was... There's not really a good place to perform in the studio, and the people there wound up seeming sort of not like our people, musically speaking. It's a more of an upscale studio, and Yulnog is really a kind of a bastard child. But we played a few songs, and a saxophonist who happened to be at the party John said, John, the uh, engineer, told him to sit in with us. So he played the songs despite having never heard them before. Did a good job. Can't remember his name. He was good, though. Since I was downtown and had my horn with me, I went after the party to the Ear Inn, where Dirty Water Dogs have... uh, monthly or maybe bi-weekly late night gig it's like from midnight to 3 a.m or 11 to 2 a.m or something at this place in the west village which is a really nice place is one of these very old buildings you know i think a couple of places in new york have a claim to being the oldest bar in the city this is one of the places that has of claim like that. But I didn't get there till you know, one o'clock or something, and it was pretty slow. I played about half a set just sitting in with the band, and then uh, we took a set break, and the barman wound up closing the place down before we came back from set break. So it was just a short little thing, but it was a good opportunity to see the guys. The guitarist, Steve, actually called me for a gig in January, shortly after that. And I wonder if it would have occurred to him to call me for it if I hadn't showed up at the year in that night to sit in. That's one of the things about going and sitting in is it can be fun to see people and you get a chance to play. And um, it can also lead to gigs. So... There's a good reason to do that, as any musician of any era will probably attest. Along the same lines of doing the gig that you might not have otherwise done, or going to sit in with people who you didn't have to go sit in wouldn't have missed you if you hadn't showed up um back in november there was a tin pan gig in 
Central Park that Jesse couldn't be at, and we decided to uh, play as a trio without him, and I, I sang, and um, it was a fun little experiment. Anyways, that, that afternoon, there was a school group, sixth graders, that came through the park, and the teacher gave me her phone number and said, hey, I, I want to do a, an assembly about jazz, and give me a call about it. The day of that gig was the day that I left for tour in Europe, so I actually didn't call her until I got back a few weeks later, and I figured she had made some other arrangement, but she hadn't. So we agreed on a fee and a general sort of thing to do. Her students were reading a book called Bud Not Buddy, they're sixth graders. And this is not a book that I had heard of, but is apparently a very popular and well-regarded book, you know, chapter book for that sort of age group. I don't know if that's considered young adult. You're not really a young adult when you're in sixth grade. You're still kind of a kid. So maybe it's children's literature. I don't know what it is. I did get the book out of the library and check it out. It involves jazz, but only in an abstract way. Um, the orphan character, main character of the book, this is in the 1930s, he suspects and later confirms that his father, or spoiler alert, grandfather, is this famous jazz musician. So there's a little bit of jazz in the uh, in the book, but it's a good excuse for having an assembly, especially in a school that doesn't have a very strong music program. This is PS58 in Maspeth, Queens, and I did meet the music teacher, and she was she was great, young woman, enthusiastic, but she was uh, lamenting how sort of irregularly and haphazardly she sees a lot of the students and so she can't really structure too good of a musical education for them so assemblies to the rescue plus assemblies are fun we had this whole sixth grade and i used steve and adam on bass and guitar who had been playing with me in the park on the day they saw me, and Nick Myers on saxophone. I wanted to use a saxophonist because that's what gets played in the book, um, which is why I, I didn't call Jesse to make it a regular Tin Pan gig. Um, we played and talked for about 45 minutes in an actual auditorium with a stage something my school did not have. If we had done this at my school, it would either have been in the band room or it would have been in the so-called cafetorium where we all ate lunch and were all band concerts and theatrical productions and awards ceremonies were held. A good old cafetorium. My school has since been renovated and now does have a proper auditorium which is 
I assume, where they do all those things now. But so does PS58 and Maspeth. So we actually had a nice time. We had a microphone we could use, and the kids were great. We, like I said, played and spoke for about 45 minutes, and they were clapping along. We tried to teach them how to clap on two and four instead of clapping on beats one and three, which was their instinct. And we ended a little bit early so they could ask us questions individually. We just went out into the audience. And so many of them came up and had little questions to ask and just wanted to say hello or you know, get autographs or other cute little things that sixth graders do. Really nice group of, of kids. Someone pointed out to me that this is the sort of thing that maybe I should pursue and do more often since I enjoy it and it's it's worthwhile for the students also. Uh, I don't know if I, I will or I don't know what I would do to pursue it more often. It is a cool gig. Um, I'll admit that. But there... <laughs> But here's like a totally hilarious bureaucracy type of thing. So the teacher who booked me, I was exclusively dealing with her. I wasn't talking to any principals or anything like that. And and when she was, you know, she asked me who they could write a check to and that the school system needed to write the check to a company that they couldn't write it to me so she's like do you have a company name that we can and i i don't and um if i had her pay someone else's company and it would almost be like uh laundering the money that didn't seem that didn't seem uh above board but she was like well how about you think your bank will cash it if we just write the check to sam kulik co and i was like i guess so that was enough to get around the school's policy of like not being able to hire people. Um, so they wrote the check to Sam Kulik Co. and my bank took it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was inconsequential, but it was also just kind of stupid and indicative of uh, you know the red tape and bureaucracy you run into in a. Uh, big school system like the one in New York City. Two more Christmas gigs to tell you about before I headed home for Christmas and suspended gig activity for the rest of 2014. Uh, one was with the band Super Hi-Fi, who I'd played a gig with once before. This is the dub reggae band that has a two trombone front line. Good band, and I enjoyed playing with them the other time I did. They clandestinely recorded a Christmas record this year called Yule Analog, which is funny that it's called Yule Analog and ours is called Yule Nog, very similar, similar um, titles. So Yule An Analog is a very well-chosen collection of Christmas songs and spirituals like Go Tell It on the Mountain and Auld Lang Syne are included on it um, with these dub arrangements and we were booked at a place in the Bronx in Riverdale that does live music on Beale Bacht a, uh, an Irish pub 
And um, I hadn't been to Riverdale in a couple of years, so it was fun to go up and play this gig. We did two sets, mixed the Christmas tunes in with the regular um, songs that are in the Super Hi-Fi book. And people loved it. <laughs> it was great. They fed us. They kept bringing beers. The, um, the like, you know, bros who were there getting wasted couldn't get enough of the music. I don't think they knew the name of the instruments we were playing. <laughs> That's the kind of guys they were. Yeah, play the trumpet, tuba. You know, no, no, keep guessing. It's the trombone. Um, but like totally excited about the music and they were having their own kind of sing-along with um god i wish i they were singing like red hot chili peppers or something on our set break in you know they were just like at their table sort of sing or cold play i don't know what the hell they were singing kind of hilarious that was a really fun gig and uh, ezra gale who is the band leader of super hi-fi he and i played together again the following night uh redux a reprise of the perfect play now if you go back to 2013 when we were uh, we meaning banana bag and bodice were doing things at trinity church wall street they had commissioned a uh, nativity play and so we did performances of this nativity play it involved a bunch of kids, at least a dozen kids. Um, it's about 25 minutes long. And what I had forgotten, 25 tops, maybe more like 20 minutes long. What I had forgotten is that there's no dialogue whatsoever. It's just 10 songs. And it manages to like outline the story of the nativity, Jesus being born. Uh, and get the different characters involved, but without them having to really act or do anything. So when working with children, this was like still a major production involving many rehearsals and blah, blah, blah. And we did it at one of the, I don't think we did it in Trinity Church. I think we did it in the um, other chapel that they have down there. Uh, but since Banana Bag and Bodice had put a bunch of work into preparing it, the idea was that maybe there, we'd have an adult version and do it at the, um, at the venue Jack, which is sort of a theater and music venue. So last year, it was probably the day after we did it with the kids, we did the adult version, which is the same exact thing, the 10 songs, but the the barnyard animals each get a crazy like dark adult themed um, monologue at certain parts of the play so it was funny because uh, there were some children oh and Jesus is uh, portrayed by a full-grown naked man at the end of the show that's also not something we did with the uh, children um, some kids came to Jack to see the adult version. Uh, so they had a good laugh when the naked man come, came out. The, um, the baby who was there some, somehow knew 
to cry during the um, during the monologues by the animals. And it's it's really interesting that that happened. And maybe it's the lighting, maybe it's that the sound change. It's certainly not the words because this was like a baby who doesn't know words yet. And so why would she be so disturbed by what the donkey is saying um, that she would start to cry? But like somehow she already knows that that's the scary part of the show. Uh, I found that really interesting. So that was, uh, like I said, 2013 that we did that. And the idea was that we'd do it again in 2014. And indeed it came to pass. Most of the same people were rounded up. These are friends, associates of Banana Bag and Bodice, various Brooklyn and downtown independent theater makers, stepping in, uh, learning their songs, getting dressed up, and there's no rehearsal for it. It's just a kind of come and do it. Like I said, it takes about 25 minutes to do. And then it becomes a little holiday party for these people who all know each other and uh, benefit. The money goes to some kind of charity. Since Ezra and I were both there playing the songs for the show, and since we had both released our respective Christmas albums this year, um, for the post-show party hangout, we actually kept playing and we played some Yule Nog songs and some of the Yule Analog arrangements and just generally had a nice time playing those for the party goers. It was a, yeah, it was more like a restaurant gig than a, um, you know, front and center people listening to the songs. Some people listened. But it was on those notes that the year in music drew to a close for me. And whatever whatever way this podcast gets resurrected in the new year, I will see you then. I don't know what it'll be, but I'll try to let you know when that happens. And we'll have some more fun together. Happy New Year. No Christmas.
Christmas. Christmas.